you can strengthen the neck all you want. Rotationally, protraction, retraction, flexion. It doesn't matter if they're not braced. Like most of our concussions are, they're, you know, is, is them getting driven to the ground and their head bouncing off the turf because they're not, because they're not braced when they, when they hit the ground. So that head's like, that neck's really loose and it just bounces off the turf. That are, that's like the most devastating concussions. Welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast, the podcast that dives into the philosophies, ideas, and practices of some of the best practitioners in high-performance sport. So this episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is all about collision sports and American football. So what one can learn from the other. For example, what American football can learn from rugby when it comes to tackle technique and what can rugby learn from American football when it comes to concussion, when it comes to conditioning, grappling, all that kind of thing. So we've got Kurt Hester from Tulane University who gives us an incredible insight into what he's doing over in the US. We also have a little chat around his frustrations with our industry and what we can potentially do better. And we finish off with a really interesting segment in this podcast where I ask Kurt the biggest thing that he's taken out of his program in the last 12 months that's had the biggest impact and then vice versa what has he added into his program that's had the biggest impact over the last 12 months so some really incredible insights from Kurt that I'm sure you'll really enjoy and would love your feedback from this episode. This episode of the Pacer Performance Podcast is sponsored by Team Builder. Team Builder is a software for performance coaches around the world. The powerhouse platform increases efficiency, saves paper, and can handle any type of programming. It's the perfect fit for professional and academy teams, performance institutes, schools, and universities. Team Builder is full of tools that help coaches' needs. Multiple max tracking methods, 16 plus reports, evaluation testing, and goal setting, just to name a few. Coaches also have access to consultations with Team Builder's in-house sports scientist to help manage and analyze data. Head to teambuilder.com and sign up with promo code SPORTSMITH to start your 30-day free trial. And this episode is also sponsored by Hawking Dynamics. Hawking Dynamics is the world's first wireless force plate testing system. The Hawking Dynamics system is built for coaches to test in the real world, not just in the lab. Capture reliable data on all your athletes in a matter of minutes and monitor their progress in the cloud from anywhere in the world. The Hawking Dynamics force plates are wireless, portable and trusted by teams at every level of sport. Integrating force plates into your athlete monitoring program has never been easier or more affordable. If you want to see the Hawking Dynamics force plate system in action, head over to their website hawkingdynamics.com to schedule a demo or follow them on Twitter at Hawking Dynamics. So without further ado, over to the episode with Kurt. Kurt Hester, welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast. It's a pleasure to have you. Hey, it's good to be up with you. <laughs> Thank you very much. It's four o'clock. I feel like I've been drafted into a, a training camp, yeah. but I'm excited to be yeah. here. Um, yeah, really excited to get you on, mate. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to have you. Yeah. End of my day, the beginning of yours. <laughs> Absolutely. The joys of the joys of time zones and working that kind of thing yes. out. But anyone who doesn't know who you are, Kurt, would you mind just giving us a bit of a background to you, a bit of on your story, where you are now, what are you doing? Uh, I'm at Tulane University uh, in New Orleans and uh, head of football sports performance and I've been all over the place. Uh, I, mean, I started training at 12 and uh, trained uh, in high school and in college in a U.S. Olympic weightlifting training center. Um, you know, I've been at LSU. I've had consultant business, owned my own facilities, kind of you know, run the gambit of uh, this entire field over 30 years. How much of an influence has the Olympic weightlifting side of things? I know this would dive into the um, opposites, the polar opposites, and the the, the the spectrum of discussion points on Olympic weightlifting already, and we're one minute 55 in. But how much has the Olympic weightlifting side of things influenced what you do day to day now? Uh, it's, still, it's still a big influence, but it's not the end all of training for me, I think with the, a lot in America, uh, especially in American football, uh, street coaches are like, you know, married to 
styles and lifts. You know, uh, they're married to like West Side or you know, uh, you know the t- you know tier system or Olympic lifting or bodybuilding. Or I mean, it's just they're they're married to like you know to to a lot of exercises. Like you have to squat, you have to do this, you have to do that. You don't have to do anything you don't want to do. You know, and 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 you know it's it's kind of mind boggling how you know they'll just fall on a sword for for an for a lift and it's like whatever is best for that athlete at that point in time in his career that's what you utilize so even though it's a huge part of my past um and it's kind of the base of some of the stuff we do um it's not the it's not the end all of 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 modalities for us i mean we'll find if an athlete doesn't have the mobility i'm not going to waste my time you know teaching a lift that you know it might take me two years to get them to actually technically really be sound at it with the mobility to be able to handle it. We'll figure out another way to to develop that power um, so that we can move on with the athlete's career and get them ready for the game. Gosh, I was speaking to a guy, an English guy who went to uh, work in Australia for the um, New South Wales Waratahs in rugby union, and not to say it's the same sport at all, but collision sport. He was talking about his the, the kind of non-technical lifts that he utilizes, and a lot of the time he's removed squatting completely from his program and replaced it with a leg press. Wild. Would would squatting be ever removed from your program for any particular uh, reason? Like th- like this summer we had an eight week cycle. I only back squatted three times the whole summer, and. You know, when you get a you get a college line, and this is for mostly for our linemen, uh, our offensive defensive linemen. And when you get a lineman, um, you know you have to develop a lot of absolute strength. I mean, they're they're in the, in the trenches fighting, and so you have to do you have to develop a lot of absolute strength. You have to develop power, and you have to de- develop some some speed. And uh, you know, we did a lot of front squatting and some some zercher squatting because it's stabilizing the way you have to stabilize the weight is basically kind of how you fight in a trench against another human especially with zercher squat and um so we went first five weeks uh zercher squatting or front squatting if, if they couldn't rack it we zercher squat you know it's basically the same you know relatively the same movement but if they can't they don't have a good rack i'm not going to fight it um and then we only we only uh, squatted uh, three times at the end of the, at the end of the cycle, and we still had guys PR. You know, um, there's a lot of different ways. I mean, I didn't squat one year from camp in August all the way to January. I think we had 12 to 16 600 pound squatters at the time, and all we did were uh, heavy sumo deadlifts, some uh, trap bar jumps, um, we did some snatch pulls off of blocks. Um, some heavy RDLs and some heavy kettlebell swings, and we still had twelve six hundred pound squatters in January. So yeah, it's 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 you. If you have a brain, you can figure out another way. And the reason why I did it was because we had a team that uh, we had some really really high end starters, guys that were going to be drafted in the league, but there was no one behind them, so we had no no twos or threes. So they were going to play majority of the plays. So I was just trying to take stress off their body. And when you put a bar on your shoulders, the stress is a lot different from pulling off the floor. The brain perceives it a completely different way. And so is your skeletal system. And so it's a lot easier, especially on bigger guys, to pull from the floor, especially in season, than it is loading the spine. And, you know, um, and I've done it in season workouts a million different ways. And I think uh, lately, because I've kind of battled this over media, that, you know, people are like, wow, well, Kurt doesn't like to lift heavy. No, it's, there's a time and a place and, but there's, there's diminishing returns also. Um, You know, if you, I looked at all the pro athletes, I've trained a few hundred NFL athletes in my career. And I looked at, you know, their stats and they're, you know, you have those anomalies where you have guys who are like, you know, a 500-pound bencher here, a 700-pound squatter there, but they're anomalies. Um, and But the average lineman was like between 485 and a 555 squat. And these guys have play, played in the league for, for a long time. So in my mind, it's like, okay, you don't really need, as long as you get in that, in that, in that framework, 
then it's time to move on to training other modalities. So there, you know, I think you know, to go from 555 to 600 is a lot of work and it's very uh, time intensive in a weight room to try to get them there when you're not going to get a whole lot of return on the field. And I think a lot of street coaches, especially young street coaches, they think uh, strength is always the answer. You know, strength is, is never a liability, you know, and, 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 and it is if it takes away from other aspects of, of the game, other aspects of getting an athlete ready for the game. So, um, you know, I just, I just think, I feel like it's a waste of time a lot, a lot of times because uh, especially when you got with DBs and receivers, you know, they don't, all, they have to, they have to run fast, period. That's the, the entire game. And, you know, to bury a, a DBR receiver in the weight room uh, two hours a day and drive them into the ground on, on different squatting uh, modalities is just insane because they're just going to get slower. Do they come and they're in- going to hate you. <laughs> Do they come into the program and expect it based on previous experiences? Yeah, because, well, a lot of it's just because what they see on social media. Because, like, all right, right, like right now, Every, it's the end of the cycle. We're getting ready to go into camp. So we go into fall camp next week. So we, basically it's 28 days of straight football, 16 hours a day until the first game. So all you're seeing is all these max effort lifts. So you're seeing max effort power clean, max effort bench, max effort squat. I'd rather get my athletes stronger going into the summer cycle where all we, we worry more about power and speed and getting technically more efficient playing the game. You go because you have to play the game. You're not you're not playing the game in the weight room. Whereas most probably eighty percent of uh, American strength coaches are spending most of their time in the weight room, and the other part of the time just running their guys into the ground conditioning wise. Because just like they believe in absolute strength is the answer, conditioning is the answer. So there's a certain point of 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 no return in conditioning. You know. Uh, the way the game is 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 played, you know, you have you'll go three to seven plays, you know, twenty five to forty seconds rest interval. Then you have a series, so then you might have a you might go sit all on the sidelines for three to seven minutes, then come back on the field, maybe go three plays, go back off the field three to seven minutes, and the game lasts four hours. So, how you know how 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 much conditioning do you need? And so they'll just, so they'll bury them in the weight room on absolute strength. So they're just crushing their central nervous system in the weight room on bench, on cleans, on squats. Then they go outside and then bury them into the ground on mostly glycolytic conditioning. And so you're kind of, you're, you're killing yourself in the weight room because you're decreasing your power output in the, in the weight room. You're losing speed on the field. And, but it's in that guise of you can never be too conditioned or you can never be too strong. And yes, you can be too strong if it's, if it's inhibiting your power and your speed. You can be overconditioned where it's inhibiting your power, your absolute strength, your power and your speed. So um, it's kind of mind boggling that with all the sports science that we have, all the technology we have, that we're still doing that in the United States. And I hate to say it because I'd rather them keep doing it because I'm at a university where it's hard to get into. So, our, we, you know, we get three-star athletes instead of four and five, and we develop them. So I've, we do a really good job of developing them. And I'd rather play against a team that takes a three or four-star and drops them down to a two. This You may have answered this question in that answer already, but the, the strength side – that seems to be very much what, especially here in the UK, we look to you guys and go, you guys are doing really well. You've got that kind of culture that isn't necessarily the case here, where we have maybe have in the sports science side that maybe you look to us. But is the why is the conditioning side something that's misunderstood, something that's kind of behind the, the S side of the S&C? It's because of middle tech, the... the misnomer that it's mental toughness it's mental toughness training and and it's not it's like er, er, in mental toughness is task specific period you know and it, you can be really tough in the weight room on a squat but you might not be mentally tough on a, on a bench press you can be mentally tough in the weight room but very weak outside 
in any kind of speed work, agility work, COD, or conditioning. You could be the opposite where you're a field guy and you destroy everything on the field, but you're really weak in, in the weight room. And so it's just, you know, they – street coaches and football coaches think that if you beat an athlete down long enough, they will become really tough. And I'll always say this, no, what happens is you have a mentally weak athlete who's just in a little bit better condition, but he's still a mentally weak athlete. How do you work on that side of things? Is there specific things that you do for mental toughness, apart from just beasting him? Uh, no, because I, because we do talk about intrinsic motivation with our athletes. Um, you know who Gino Ariema is? He's the head uh, he's the head basketball coach for UConn basketball, women's basketball. And they've won a ton of national championships. And he has this one video where he says, "I am I am not in charge of." Uh, of how you come in and, and your motivation. You're in charge of your own motivation. If you came here for me to be in charge of, of your motivation, you're in the wrong place. You're never going to play here. And that's that's how we started. And it's like, okay, look, we're going to give you the tools to become a better football player. It's your job to walk in here motivated and ready to go. And we – now, do I get animated? Yeah, that's my nature. I mean, it's just – it's I grew up playing the game – uh, I'll, I'll get super animated. I'm super kind of hands-on physical with my guys by, you know, touch pushing them and play you know, horse kind of horse play and getting them, getting them motivated to go. But it's not, I don't rely on it. Whereas in American strength and conditioning, most coaches, they don't know anything. They're not very good technical coaches in the weight room. They're not, they definitely not very technical on the field. Matter of fact, most of them would probably have a heart attack and die just doing a dynamic warm up on the field because they're so out of shape and they're so stiff, or they just pull every muscle in their body. Um, but you know, because they live in the weight room, and so they're just yell and scream and 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 a very you know all this do a lot of you know jumping jacks and just garbage you know just you know in the guise of I'm motivating my athletes. And what happens over a period of time is the athletes just go deaf. I just it's just like background noise to them. And it does nothing, does nothing for them. And so when and we, you know, talk about our athletes, like, look, when you're on the field, it's you. There's no coach going to be on that field trying to motivate you. It's you against another human. So you better, you know, better, better deep, get deep down yourself and, and motivate yourself on, you know, 80 plays in 105 degree weather with 80% humidity, you know, at the beginning of a season. So, you know, it's just, Teaching them, you know, to utilize tools that that instead of relying on on our staff, rely on yourself because you have to rely on yourself on the field. We've we've you've spoke about the the kind of things that others may do when it comes to conditioning. What do you do to condition your athletes to get them in as good a I mean, I kind condition of, as possible? I kind of believe. Well, I kind of believe you know a, a lot of the speed reserve uh, to a certain extent. I mean, I think with soccer and, and, and rugby, it's, you know, you're looking at mass, you're looking at anaerobic speed reserve. I think it it pertains more to those two sports than football because we have so much rest, whereas rugby and, and, and soccer is continuous. You know, it, football is not. Football is start, go, start, go. It's, you know, it's start, stop, go, go sit down. It's uh, There's so much rest, rest intervals that you, you know, can recover. Um relatively quickly uh so i feel that i benefit our athletes more by pushing their genetic capabilities towards speed as far as i can fastest athletes i can put on the field across the board at the end of the game with relatively minor conditioning we're still going to be faster than you so that's my whole mentality is okay i just want to try to push their capability Everything that I can squeeze out of them, as far as their speed capability, let's go. Let's go in that direction. Um, we will do some some loaded work um, that's more glycolytic, mostly because to get them ready for the, the weight of the pads. So with an alignment, office students alignment, it's about fifteen pounds of of, of extra weight. Uh, bra- knee braces, shoulder pads, helmet. Especially when you wet, if you if you wet their jersey, wet their pants because it's it's so hot here. Uh, especially the first six weeks of the season, 
that they're soaked through and through. And that's a lot of extra weight. So it's about 15 pounds for a lineman. For a linebacker, running back, quarterback, it's about 12. For a DB receiver, it's about 10. So we'll do some loaded work um, throughout the summer to get them used to carrying that extra weight with some glycolytic type uh, um, sled pushing. Because offensive linemen, all they do is push against each other the whole time. So we do a lot of grappling, a lot of um, uh, uh, cross-crawling in our conditioning, um, whereas our DBs and, and receivers, they'll do some crawling exercises, a little bit of grappling, but it's still more interval sprinting, you know, um, that we'll utilize for them. Um, so whereas most probably American college programs, it's straight glycolytic. It's, it's one ten, it's one tens, it's 300 yard shuttles, it's gassers, it's mat drills. Um, and I think you're, you're competing against each other by going absolute strength, burying them with all these glycolytic, uh, workouts and the body doesn't know what to do. I don't know which way to go. So it's not it's definitely not going to get faster. You're probably not going to develop them, uh, you know, a power output to a certain degree uh, doing that either. So uh, my mentality is just a little bit different. And I kind of hope, again, no one from America is listening to this. <laughs> 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 you put something out on social media the other day and it was uh well it was the the, the grappling side of things that was the kind of the, the focus of it and I, I read the comments last night i do enjoy reading the comments and i'm sure you do as well have a little chuckle to yourself what i know mean, you've mentioned it just there but what kind of uh place do they have in your conditioning why do you use them to the extent that you do, there was a few details in there that that you explained on the on the thread of the of the post around the the use of the the beanie, um, the weighted vests. Any details that you can just shed a little bit of light onto why you're doing well, what you're doing? Well, the fir- first thing I want to you know, most street coaches won't put anything in context, so they'll have a video and there's no context behind it. So. Then they get mad when people comment it, but there's no context about the video itself. So typically, if I when I post something, I'll put it in context. This is why this is uh, this is basically um, how we progressed it, you know, throughout the summer. This is where we we're at, where we're going, um, and where most it's just like you'll see someone post just a whole bunch of drills, you know. And it's like, okay, was that a velocity workout? Was it an acceleration workout? Was it a was it a agility workout? What kind of workout was that? But it was like 30 different modalities of their team with nothing in context. Um, so how's, one, how are the younger generation of coaches ever going to learn if you don't have anything in context when you post stuff? So I posted uh, our grappling series, which was after we had done um, a series of 300-pound sled pushes at 10 yards. And because that's what basically uh, offensive defensive line is going to do over time, over a four hour period, they're going to fight with another 300 pound human pushing them back and forth across the field. So uh, we started that with, uh, with, with play series. So the plays could have been anywhere between three, uh, could have been three reps to seven reps. That's about what uh, a play series is going to be in a game. Um, our rest intervals were anywhere between, 25 seconds and 40 seconds, just like just like it's going to be in the game. Then uh, between series, we rested between three and seven minutes. And whereas a lot of street coaches won't stay on the field that long, they just want to get out there, get the conditioning done in 20 minutes and get off. I don't care how long it takes. I'm going to get, you know, I'm going to try and mimic the game as much as, as, as much as the NCAA rules allow me to stay out there. I'm going to use every minute of it and I'm going to extend my workouts just like the game is extended. So then after we went through basically four different series, we went into our, our grappling, our grappling series. So when you engage with, when linemen engage, it's, it's, it's a lot of, it's a lot of isometrics in nature. You know, um, you, they, you, you fit up and you're torquing and twisting and turning your feet and you're an offensive lineman trying to keep their feet into the ground. Defensive linemen are trying to move them. And so we have all these different grappling kind of inspired drills. It's not wrestling and, you know, in itself, but, um, we, we 
we have about six, six or seven different drills we'll utilize and we'll go, uh, you know, most plays are between three and seven seconds. So I'll, sometimes it's a three second drill, sometimes it's a second second drill, still with 25 to 40 seconds rest recovery. And we'll do between three and seven reps and, and do a, a few more um, series of those after pushing the sleds because that's what's going to get us ready for the game. You mentioned isometrics there, and I know you took the um, Alex isometric course that, that we had out. You don't unless you unless it's got sound, unbelievable feedback. I don't want to know, Kurt. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually like probably ninety percent because I'm doing. I'm, I'm so ADD. I, I have to do. I I read three books at a time. I, I go like from one to the other. I'm doing. I was doing three courses at one time, um, so I'm like ninety percent uh, finish with yours and RPR two and then the square one course um so i'm like all that at one time um but no it's it's a, some of it I, you know it's it's kind of because when you're when you're when you're in a fight in in the trenches it's more isometric i think it's probably 80 percent isometric and then it's concentric eccentric it's give and take you know because you're pushing back and forth you're either giving or, or you're you know or, or you're pushing so um the body has to be ready for that. And it's not going to happen in the weight room. It's just not going to, I don't care what you do. It's not, you're not going to be able to mimic that in the weight room. So we'll, we, we, we try to mimic it as much as possible on the field with, with heavy sleds, with grappling, with some cross crawling, uh, work, which when you look at cross crawling, cross crawling and infinity runs, what is cross crawling? Sorry for the. It's it's like any variations of bear cross. Okay, cool. Like any very any variation of a bear crawl in in any in in, in different planes. Um, Infinity run is basically uh, they took you know brain damaged patients and you're in you're basically doing a figure eight walking, and so if you if you're going in a figure eight this way and you have a a chair with someone sitting in it, and this is how the doctors kind of utilize it with where they would just focus on the, on the person, the doctor in a chair, and they'd walk in a figure eight. But their eyes always stayed focused on the person in a chair. Well, it cross-crawling would do the same thing as far as like sinking the left and right hemisphere of the brain to where you're more, you have superior motor coordination. So if you look at, at, at time frames of someone who had, where it was uh, in an accident and had brain damage, you can, their gait's really, really spastic. And then over time, you can see it ironing itself out, just doing that figure eight. Same thing if you if they do if they cross crawl. So, um, especially if it be prior to doing any type of um, agility work where it's very it's very reactive, um, we always will do uh, a couple of variations of cross crawls, and we'll and we'll hit figure eights in our warm up, so that when we hit agility, that they. Uh, they're very their their cognitive response is a, is a whole lot quicker. And besides the fact of that with the cross crawling, shoulder stability, which you need in linemen because they're constantly punching and engaging each other. So and with the conditioning aspect of it too, on top of that. I know that so it's got a lot of it's got a lot of different purposes. It's cross. not just like one one thing. There's there's a lot of things going on at one time. I know condition. Um, sorry, concussion is a big talking point and always is a talking point in any collision sport with rugby or American football. What do you do from a concussion perspective when it comes to neck strength? Do you focus specifically on that with, with concussion as the, the kind of outcome that you're trying to prevent or help yes and aid? No. I, I, hell, it's more like aid to a certain extent because yes, you want, you want it, you know, the circumference of the neck to get a little thicker. Because it will it will withstand uh, a blow to a, and dissipate it to a greater extent, um, but you also want to get the jaw a lot stronger. So we do. There's a lot of jaw exercises because when you look at concussions, a lot it's it's more the fact that they're not braced during the hit, and I think that comes along with the NCAA so ass backwards that they don't allow us to do a lot of like rugby type. Um, form fitting tackling, you know, with, with pads because they're like, it's illegal to have a pad in the off season. It's really dumb because if you're ta- because tackling is a skill, 
This is skill that needs to be worked on year round. And we're not able to do that. Um, I've kind of found, figured out a way around that. I just, I've just figured it out this year. I'm going to have to utilize next year around the NCAA. That's legal. Um, but sorry to, sorry if, to jump if, in. Sorry to jump in, Kurt. So explain just why you can't do why you can't work on tackle <sighs> technique with pads. I get. I think because because in the in the past, you know, like in the '80s and the '90s, football coaches were were having them do all these drills year round with pads, and so they're like, okay, you can't, you know, you can't have a pad out uh, in the off season. You know, especially with you know strength and conditioning, we can't. I can't be out there with a football either. You know, um, so it's it's archaic rules that make absolutely no sense. The typical NCAA, um, but. Um, if you're more skilled, your head's not going to be in the way because, because we're teaching more rugby-type skilled tackling. So the fact, too, is that you have to teach the athlete to brace on impact. Well, the only way you're going to teach them to brace on impact is to have impact. And we're not able to do that uh, to a certain extent. Um, but with, like, you know, what, what you know, biting down on your mouth guard and bracing, and you have to do that in training for them to get used to doing that. So um, that's probably the next level of kind of some of the things that I want to do with our, our athletes is is in lifting. You know, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of science behind biting down on on, on mouth pieces and, and and same thing with like grip you know, and gripping a bar uh, with grip strength and that it, it, that you have more power. You know, when when you lift. Um, but if they can, if they learn to brace and brace their neck, you can strengthen the neck all you want. Rotationally, protraction, retraction, flexion, it doesn't matter if they're not braced. Like most of our concussions are there, you know, is, is them getting driven to the ground and their head bouncing off the turf because they're not, because they're not braced when they, when they hit the ground. So that head's like, that neck's really loose and it just bounces off the turf that are like that's like the most devastating concussions are the, the back of the head hitting the turf more than blows because we're we're getting so more efficient at tackling and the way the rules have changed about uh helmet to helmet contact and and dropping dropping down low that uh you know we're not seeing some of the catastrophic blows we used to see with guys who are, who are defenseless so i think yes you have to develop the neck Yes, you have to develop it in in, in, uh, in protraction, in retraction, in flexion, in rotation. But you you have to you have to develop the jaw. But you also have to teach the athlete to brace on impact. And I think that's you know getting the jaw stronger because when you bite down hard, everything else tightens up. And that's that has to come in training every single day from January all the way through through the season. I know you. I don't want to say this, but what are you doing to try to get around NCAA rules to be able to teach that or enhance that tackle technique, safen up that tackle technique? They can do stuff on their own, like the athletes. So, like, we'll do seven-on-seven after practice. So they'll go out and, uh, you know, the receivers, the running backs, and the quarterbacks and tight ends will run plays against the linebackers, uh, the, the the corners and the safeties, you know, like a seven on seven league. So they'll they'll work um, plays, you know, usually around twenty five to thirty plays, uh, you know, twice a week. But you can't be there. T- I, I can be there, like to like blow the whistle to make sure you know the play is dead. Okay. Uh, they made that rule where I can be there just for that. The coaches can't be there. The football coaches can't be there. But so I can be there to kind of make sure no one gets killed. Um, (laughs) That's basically why I'm there. Um, But so to teach the drills and then have them do them player led, as long as it's player led, they can train all they want is to add that to the work, like cut the workout short 10 minutes and then go player led for 10 minutes of, of, um, of some rugby style tackling. And what does that, what does that look like? Just, just, just drilling. Yeah. I mean, 
just like what you see, like I, I actually, when I was in Australia, we, we I watched a lot of rugby league games. Like, yeah, yeah. We went to a lot of them, and yeah. um, just watching them warm up, you know, um, fitting, just fitting up, fitting yeah, up, yeah, get head to the side, fitting up, uh, fitting up, and drive them into a pad to where they can actually get get a little bit more of an impact. Where you know, um, and working on, you know, we all football coaches now do the donut drill, tackling the donut, but more fitting up against. A body, you know, a heavier body, to where there's more of an impact. Because I look at like everybody kept commenting, saying, you know, oh, that's what you're doing is is pre-contact is is with the grappling, and I, and I kind of argued about it a little bit because I, I I don't look at it as pre-contact because there's no momentum and there's and there's no impact. And what uh, Andy Ryland, who's in charge of uh, Football USA. Um, who who was a rugby guy, and he said, Curtis, it's really a regression. It's a regression off of contact drills. Well, I look at it, well, it's a regression, regression, regression because there's you know there's not a lot of contact. But I think that's the, the next step forward. Be going from the cross crawling and grappling to those contact drills and teaching bracing at the same time because that's what's going to stop more concussions than anything. Your guys played a little bit of cricket as well over in Australia, didn't you? We went to the international. Oh, yeah, because we had some ba- we have a few baseball players um, that you know play football, and they they couldn't hit it. And you know, it's it's just a you know a whole different game. We got to train at at um, at the RFL, you know, the Rugby Football League in you know uh, in Sydney. Um, Saw some Australian rules football. And I actually, I sat there and just watched the game, watched how uh, in Australian rules football they tackle, watched rugby. I pretty much was sitting there watching the game from that aspect because it's something that I wanted to add to our program and talk to a lot of their rugby uh, um, coaches. Uh, kind of on through COVID, met uh, Fergus Mitri, who's like, uh, I guess it's one level below rugby league. Like, okay. they're I say triple. I would say triple A. Okay. Yeah. You know, I'm be like, you know, an American, yeah, single double. It'd be their triple, and then the show. Um, and and he actually met me there, and we you know we talk a lot about how to implement rugby stuff into American football. So we're just going to take a very quick break in the chat with Kurt. Hope you enjoyed part one. So over in part two, we have a little chat around his uh, Kurt's frustrations in strength and conditioning, but also some of the most impactful things that he's added into his program over the last 12 months and some of the most impactful things that he's removed from his program over the last 12 months. So really interesting part two coming up. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by Play. Play is the leader in high-performance athletic flooring and strength equipment globally. So with offices in the US, Australia and the UK, Play provides an end-to-end experience by collaborating with organisations through their own proprietary formula to create world-class environments for coaches and athletes. Play's Achieve 18mm Rubber and Attack Turf have been at the cornerstone of elite training facilities for now over a decade with the addition of the new Icon X rack range. Play are once again set to elevate the industry. On the 23rd of April 2022, Play will be hosting their first UK lab of the year in collaboration with Loughborough University. Play will be joined by some exceptional speakers from elite sport, industry and academia with a huge breadth of knowledge and experience. Listeners and supporters of Pace Performance Podcast are able to obtain an exclusive 20% discount using the code SPORTSMITH20 when registering at playacademy.com forward slash play hyphen labs hyphen Loughborough. And now back to the episode with Kurt. One thing I want to get onto, and I think this is probably from your, was it 2019 you released the book? Oh, probably. 20? I don't know that. Yeah. Yeah, it was, yeah, uh, nineteen because it was right before COVID. Okay, nice. And I just want to get into some. I mean, you've mentioned a couple there, but your frustrations with our industry, and I'd like to get a little bit of a reflection from you on maybe some of that stuff that you mentioned in the book, but also things that have come up since then that um, that you're wrapping, trying to wrap your head around when it comes to our industry. 
Uh, you know, I think like you know, in the UK, how and in Australia, how, orga- how sports are organized. You, know, you have like a manager, you know, um, and then you know he manages the team. He does all the hiring. You have, you have your sport coach, but he's he he's, typically is not going to fire the the medical staff. He's not going to fire the strength staff or the skill staff. He's just the sport coach. Where in America, the sport coach is God. So, um, you know, especially in American football is none of them have a sports science background, typically. And just to get them to understand about, you know, an athlete only has so much gasoline in a tank. And once you burn it out, he ain't moving or he's going to get hurt. And just that understanding of, you know, burying the athlete day in and day out throughout a season, um, you have diminished returns, you know, but it's a lot of it still, well, well, we were here and we won. You know, and you won because you had some great athletes and the uh, a high proportion of them survived your, your practices and made it to the field. It wasn't that you were doing everything perfect and everything is like, they're looking at it as, well, we won. So that is the, the, the recipe for success. And it's hard for coaches to change once they've won, you know, and it's like, oh, well, we won. We're going to do exactly the same thing. Everything's going to be exactly the same we did the year before. I'm always the opposite. I'm always looking for, okay, we won. We did this. Let's get better here, here, and here to increase our odds of, of, of continued success. And just that constant battle. And it doesn't matter. It's not just football. I think we have more problems with our Olympic sports, with volleyball, with soccer, with, with softball, baseball. I mean, it's it's just a fight always with the sport coach on how we should train. Um, because, well, I saw this guy. They'll get on social media and see some goofy video, and, and it, it makes zero sense for their athlete. Oh, it looked really cool. Can we implement this? Hell no. <laughs> you, know, you know. And, uh, you know, because – and it just it, – it, it, it just – and that's – it doesn't matter what school you coach at, you're going to be, that's going to be probably one of the main concerns of, of most coaches. Now I was, I was fortunate. Well, not fortunate enough. It's just my, my personality. When I interviewed, I said, these are the things I'm not going to do. And if you want me to do them, I'm not the right guy for this job. What were those and things? Like done. One was a thing called mat drills, which they do them uh, prior to spring football. And it's just basically mindless drills at a super high intensity with no rest, with, with, with very little rest recovery uh, between drills. You, you just bury the athlete because you're making them in their minds mentally tough has nothing to do with football. So you're wasting all you're wasting like over a month of time that you can get, be getting better as a football player skill wise by doing some dumb mindless drills. And there's still street coaches that will, they will, they will die on a sword saying it's Matt drills are why we're successful. I'm like, no, it's not. Never was and never will be. But they think, you know, well, it made us tougher. No, it didn't. (laughs) The guys who were guys who were like who are really tough, beast it. The you know, that's probably twenty percent. Then there's probably, you know, eighty percent or seventy percent that just tolerate it. They just okay. I'm just I'm just gonna get through it, and then ten percent said, "You know what? I don't care. I'm not going. I'm, I'm gonna move as fast as I feel like moving, no matter what." And that's you know across the board. You know, it's just that's what, and, and it, it's just a, a waste of time when they could have been working on the skills that they need to become better at their position. What were the two things that you said that you wouldn't do? Uh, I didn't. I said we. If I needed a conditioning test, you just, you know, it, we train year round. There's no, why do I need a conditioning test at the end of the summer? We've been training for, since January. If we're not ready, just fire me. <laughs> <laughs> so in, in terms of conditioning test to, to see whether you're doing your job or not, and the guys are ready yeah, or not. It's like, yeah, yeah we, we walk on, I mean, come watch a strain. Come watch a strain, like you know, and 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 you know, for two weeks at the end of the summer, you'll you'll 
you'll look and go, okay, we're ready to play. We we could we were ready for for a camp two weeks ago, and we could handle it. So it's like there's no reason for you know in in today's college football uh, reality to run a conditioning test unless you don't if you don't trust your coach, run a run a test. I say, well, you know, if you don't trust me, then I shouldn't even be here. Can you remember the last one? Um, what was that other one where I said I wasn't, wasn't going to do? Oh, yeah. no, no. Uh, like a lot of glycolytic, like 110s, 300-yard shuttles, uh, gassers. Um, I'm not going to beat our team in the ground uh, for absolutely no reason where it's going gonna, it's gonna to hurt us athletically getting prepared for the for the season. Nice. Any other reflections on the frustrations? Get uh, it out there, Kurt. Just- I mean, I look at, you know, I look at it as like I have this continued battle uh, on absolute strength, you know? And it's like, again, I go back to it as I'm not again. I mean, I've, I love to train. I love to lift. I love to lift heavy. Um, but it's you do have diminishing returns when it comes to getting a football player ready to play the game. And it does inhibit, um, to a certain extent, it's going to inhibit his, his, his power output and his speed output. And there's no reason to – it just it fulfills most street coaches' egos by putting their one guy that can squat 600. Get him on Twitter. One guy, huh? Get him on Twitter. Get him videoed and get oh, him yeah, on Twitter. Yeah, get, get, get that video and have everybody jump around. And they get that one guy that, that benches over 400, that benches like 455 to 500. Get that one guy who cleans 385 to 405. And, you know, why? It, it, you know, one, this close to the season, I'm not going to risk losing, a, you know, one of my athletes, especially one of our starters, just to get a number that I don't need. Like we get, we get, our, we get our numbers in training. Like you know, throughout the lift, I'm like, okay, our athletes kind of know where they're at, whether it's clean, squat, bench, any lift, jerks, it doesn't matter, snatch. They know where they're at throughout the year. I don't need to do a max effort because we're hitting some, we're in some 90s and 95s. They know about where they're at. There's no reason to bury them at the end of the summer when we have a season to get to, to really get ready for. I've got a couple of questions. To, I'm, I'm, as I was writing them, I thought I'm gonna. I think these are quite good questions to add into every podcast episode. So if I do that, you're the first ones. You're the first one. Sorry. The most impactful thing that you've introduced into your program in the last twelve months. Um, uh, it's. I'm always on a continued educational path, so a lot of stuff that is not like in the last twelve months. It's maybe something I've been working on for three years trying to trying to slowly implement it and get it taught. So, you know, breathing is, is, is one thing that doesn't take, it doesn't wear the body out. You know, it's not like, okay, we're adding this to our program and it's going to take, it's going to burn up some of the gas in the gas tank. It doesn't. So in conditioning and when we kind of started in our, just our dynamic warm up of taping our mouths, trying not to be mouth breathers. Trying to get them to, to you know to breathe nasally, got them through warm ups where they can do it without 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 they didn't feel like they were drowning. Then we started going into speed workouts because there's a lot of re- a lot of recovery. Um, then worked on trying to get them to to when they're doing homework when they're playing video games, work while you're you know with, on, with tape on your mouth for at least an, you know an hour while you're you're doing any kind of homework. Then moved to sleeping, like, you know, taping your mouth while you're sleeping. Then went through um, belly breathing and through ribcage ex- expansion breathing, you know, trying to get them to learn to drop their heart rate and their respiration uh, in training. And then we work on it while in training. We work on it in the weight room. We work on it on the field so that it becomes second nature during the game. So that if we can drop our heart rate, drop our respiration – lower in the fourth quarter, just from that fact, our power output and speed output should be relatively high compared to another team. It doesn't take a lot. It doesn't take any – takes skill. It takes a little bit of energy, but it doesn't wear the body out. 
Where have so, you? Oh, go on. Sorry, I had interrupted. Then go right, on, like I was gonna say, like like books like um, uh, Rick's and Gracie has a book called Breathe. Um, what's uh, Breathe by? I got it written down because I knew I was gonna forget it. Um, did uh, I? I got to start with Wim Hof. Okay. More than anything, reading yeah, all yeah. Wim Hof stuff, and so that was my first book. Uh, was was breathing with the Wim Hof, and then um, with uh, Varich and Sabin, it's breathing for warriors. It's actually, I think, probably one of the best books. And then uh, Breathe by Nestor, which is a pretty comprehensive book. So I've read all four of those books and kind of got bits and pieces from each one. Got okay, and kind of made it into a system, you know, a progression for them. Uh, to be able to handle it. Now, rib cage, rib cage breathing is probably the hardest because it's expanding your rib cage out. It's kind of easy when you put your hands on your belly and you do belly breathing because you can push against your hands without you know your shoulders raising. But expanding your rib cage, if I expand my rib cage, my lungs can expand to a greater extent. The lungs can expand to a greater extent. I'll get more oxygen into my lungs. It's going to help me toward you know towards the end of the game. So it's just most of our guys are really just starting to catch on to the rib the rib because it takes a little more effort to learn it. You better expand your rib cage without breathing from your chest and your shoulders. How have the how have the guys responded to this? Because it's not squatting. It's not. It's like it almost feels like the opposite of their kind of culture. If that's it is, but I do a lot of vision and cognition work with our DBs, receivers, and quarterbacks. I, I they know that. I tell them, look, the weight room is only going to get us so far. Once you get genetically, there's going to be a limit to your speed. There's going to be a limit to your vertical jump. There's going to be a limit to your broad jump. There's going to be a limit, a physical limitation to um, a lot of the things that we test in American football. But we're going to do all the little things that that are going to impact us on the field that no one else is going to do. And when you add all the little things that we do, Together on the field, it makes you a more rounded athlete to be able to handle um, the stresses of the game and to be able to excel throughout those stresses of the game. I'm going to ask you the opposite. Over a year, I mean, I've only been here a year. So this is going on my second year. And, you know, the the program before was, was, you know, a typical American football program. And then – they know that I'm always looking for that little bit of an edge. And so they've had, we've had a, so much success. Success breeds a little bit of trust. And when I say, look, this is what's going to happen when we do this. And usually that happens and they go, oh, okay. <laughs> what do you want us to do now? <laughs> I'm going to ask you the opposite of what I just asked you. And I think it's just as important. What has been the most impactful thing that you've removed from your program in the last 12 months, could be 24 months. Got it. No, I mean, I, I, st- I still think it's that ongoing battling about worrying about strength over everything else. You know, it's just, it's, it's, and it, because, you know, you, you kind of, not that you have, you know, that I'll have, um, you know, this imposter syndrome, but when, you know, when you, if you spend too much time looking on social media, what everybody else is doing, and you're like, oh, well, they they're really those guys are pretty strong. Oh, that's you know that's pretty cool. That's this, that's that. It's just kind of just stay the course of what I know and what I believe and what I what I believe as a coach, what's best for our what's best for our athletes, you know. And it's just you know is because every for everything you you put in, you have to take something out. Or your toolbox is way too big. Um, I think it's just always maintaining where we're. With the exception of the O and D line, I will spend a lot of time in the weight room because that's what their position. That's the aspects of their position that they need to be, you know, to to and to be able to play at a high level in the field. But with with our skilled guys, I mean, we're on the we're on the field. You know, it's it's probably 70, 30. 70 in the seventy on the field, thirty in the in the weight room. With um, with my O and D line, it's probably sixty forty. 60 in the weight room, 40 on the field. You know, it's trying trying to stay that course without buying into what anybody else is doing. I look at it as if I'm doing what they're doing, I'm not trying to beat them. Yep. 
one thing you've mentioned a couple of times is the the, the influence of sports science, and you've pulled in the, the Australians and the and the English. And a few years ago, there was a influx, and probably there still is to a certain extent, of Brits and, and Aussies coming over to the US. Do you think that's been a positive? It sounds like you think it is. And just because I'm a Brit, don't feel like you have to hold back, which I know you won't, Kurt. No, but do you think that's uh, been a positive for the yeah, sport? Yeah, I think when I, when I was younger, it, when I was younger, it was Canadians. Like it was all like when I, you know, in the, when you look at the nineties, it was more, the influence was all Canadian. Like they, they had the best sports scientists in the world. It was all coming out of Canada, I guess, cause it's so cold. There's nothing else to do. We just lock <laughs> ourselves up in a room uh, and, and stay on a computer. Um, but um, no, I think it's, it's, it's helped a lot, but it's, it's helped and it's hurt. Cause I think you can rely on, you can be a slave to data. You can rely too much uh, on the numbers and not your eyes. I think we're losing. It's a lost art of, of really being a great technical coach. Um, I think that's probably the best skill that I have is 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 my eyes is is you know seeing and being able to adapt and manipulate an athlete week to week through a through an off season and a season and not worry about because most coaches like whatever they write that's what they're going to do. It, it was written and we're going to do that no matter what. And we, and I've, with my staff, I'm like, I've, you know, we adapt weekly and daily, you know, to, to, and that's what's kept us, you know, at a, at a pretty decent trajectory. And if you, if you're just relying on the data itself, it doesn't tell the whole story. You know, you have to, I think like with most sports scientists, they need to spend just as much time watching the athletes to get a correlation with the data that they're seeing that they're, that, that they're, that they're, they're inputting. And I think that sometimes it's it's some like in some of the NFL teams like they those guys stay in a room and never come out and they never come out of the room. It's like well okay you've, you're not seeing the athletes in movement in person, so the data doesn't tell the whole story, you know. So you have to be you know there, there's there's you know give and take with it. Um, I'm lucky I have a um, a Belgian kid who's super super bright. Um, and, you know, he's my sports science guy, and I, I just run through it. We run, you know, everything back and forth. And he's got a really good eye, too, on the field. So we work really well together, and, um, you know, we're always, as a staff, talking about what we just did, what we just saw, look at the data. Does the data equal what we saw? Vice versa. Um, and, no, it's, it's, it's only helped the field. It needs to get. It's still. We're still in the infancy. I mean, we from a neural standpoint. From you know, from a neural standpoint, we don't have a high understanding of the brain, and 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 athletics to the extent to where we're just on the tip. And I've read three neuroscience books. I read the history of neuroscience. We're not even close, man. I mean, we're so far away, and everybody thinks that we're. You know, we're at the apex of this field. We're not even close. We're not. We're at the bottom of the mountain right now. Nice. Right. I'm going to let you get to bed because you've got an early start. So thank you very much, Kurt. Really appreciate you coming on, especially especially so late in the day as well. You've got some got some lovely wine at the back there, what it looks like to me. No, well. Not diving into some of that. Oh, okay. I'm, <laughs> now I'm, the party I'm starts. Friend. Yeah. This is New Orleans, man. This is like we, we don't play around. We, we drink anything. It doesn't matter what it is. Wine, beer, you know, whiskey. Yeah, so I got friends of mine who work in the in the alcohol um, industry, so they make their own whiskeys, and so they're always sending me stuff. And but no, nah, man, um, edit it however you want to edit it. Make me sound smart. <laughs> <laughs> so anyone that anyone that wants to dive into, I mean, you mentioned so we've mentioned social media a few times. Do you know what you are on Twitter, Instagram? Uh, it's just the Kurt Hester. Okay, on, perfect on Twitter, and then. Um, Hester backslash Kurt on Instagram. Cool. Love and it. That's it. But uh, you know, I mean, uh, it was uh, we kind of went. I mean, my, I'm kind of brain dead right now too. We kind of went 360 back and forth to, you know, I don't know if it's going to help any any Brits. <laughs> Absolutely, hundred percent. Like I said to you on the message, we and I think we consistently look to you guys for inspiration because of the you know, how we perceive American football and, and what you guys do. So I think it's it's super applicable to, especially collision sport, collision sports, 
Um, yeah, thank you very much for coming on. Really appreciate it. No, now the guys were like, American football sucks. After talking to- <laughs> 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 I'm just talking to Kurt. There's, those guys are terrible. <laughs> so. No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Right, I'm going to let you go. Stick around. We'll have a little quick chat and uh, yeah, look forward to catching up soon. All right, man. Thanks, Kurt. Thanks for tuning in to episode 458 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. It was an absolute pleasure to get Kurt on and have a little chat around American football, something that is definitely not in my comfort zone, but um, some incredible information shared from Kurt that can be applicable to American football guys and girls, but also those in other collision sports. So big thanks to Team Builder, to Hawking Dynamics and to Play for sponsoring this episode today. The podcast could not really come from without these guys, so I really do appreciate all their support. Big thanks to you for tuning in and I look forward to chatting to you next time.